Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. Everybody. Amen. Amen. Well, given all honor and glory to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I am grateful uh, to be here in this space to be able to share with you um, uh, just some of the things that God has brought me through. I want to thank Pastor Ken and, and Pastor Connie, Pastor Chris and Pastor Kelly for trusting me with uh, this particular space, this pulpit. Um, contrary to some of you guys' belief, I ain't been good all my little life. I uh, had a little bit of drama, right? But, but God is good. And I, I wanted to share my testimony with you so that you could say with me, look what the Lord has done. Bible says they overcame him, the enemy, by the blood of the lamb. That's God's part and the word of their testimony. That's our part. And so uh, I, don't, I don't share anything today to, to, to give any glory to the devil. All the glory goes to God because it had not been for the Lord on my side. Come on, where would I be? So uh, I'm grateful and uh, just, you know, want to encourage you. Uh, Buckle your seatbelts and let's uh, talk about what Jesus has done. So as uh, Pastor Ken mentioned, so last month I celebrated um, 25 years of being on staff and uh, a little bit longer than that, six months, seven months longer than that than for, for being at Capitol Church. And why that's amazing, again, when you hear my story, you'll, you'll wonder how I could be in this place for so long and how I even got here. And uh, I wanted just to acknowledge a couple people real quick. So... Um, other, other than the Godhead, if you've experienced anything good from me, you have my mom and dad to, to, to be grateful to. And I think I got pictures up there. So that's my mom and my dad. My dad was a pastor. Never in my life did I think that I was going to be a pastor. But uh, you can see where I got my suit swag right there, right? So, yeah. Pops. His name was Hugh James Thornton, and so I named my son after him because I wanted him to be named after the greatest man that I knew. And uh, so th- those are those pictures up there. And, and the reason why that th- those pictures are so important, and you, you have to know, in the book of James, chapter 5, verse 16, I love it out of the King James Version, it says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Some translations say the, the, the prayers of a person living in right standing with Jesus are powerful and effective. And, and my parents weren't righteous because of who they were. They were righteous because of who Jesus is. Amen. You're not righteous because of what you do or what you don't do. You're righteous is because of who Jesus is. The Bible says he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And so uh, they're, they're the reasons. If, if it's goodness that comes out of me, it's because of them and God. And if there's some God that you see in me, it's because of my parents and Pastor Ken and Pastor Connie. So I'm grateful to uh, those who um, have kind of been praying for me and trusting me. The next picture up there. Um, oh, I got to tell you this. My mom, my mom uh, passed away 2010. And I don't know how much I'll get to that. But um, a couple years after she passed away, uh, somebody was honoring her on Facebook because she was a minister of music. And they put in this statement, they're like, oh, we miss Sister C. We remember she used to always say, if somebody's got hell in them, you just love the hell out of them. And I was like, man, 
that's a great statement. I'm like, how come I never heard her say that? And the Holy Spirit was like, Mark, she was talking about you. <laughs> real, real talk. But that's literally what she did. She loved the hell right out of me and allowed me to see the unconditional love of, of the Father. Then about in two thir- 2013, uh, I got to be on stage. I, I got this award. Uh, Mayor Tammy s- submitted my name for this award, the Governor's Brightest Star Award for, uh, I think that year, I had over 1,300 hours of volunteer service in the community. Uh, once I added it all up, I was tired um, after that. But, but, but I got honored by the governor. My parents were passed away, and so I got to uh, invite Pastor Ken and Pastor Connie to come down and just, uh, you know, I, I live my life trying to make people proud in the sense, not everybody. First, I want God to be glorified in my life, but um, people have taken a lot of chances on me. I want to honor their faith in me by just, you know, um, making people proud. So I'm really glad that Pastor Ken and Connie could come down there. Um, after that is when she made me the community pastor. I was like, no, I'm busy. I'm busy. What do you want me to do? She's like, just keep doing what you're doing. I was like, I can win. Bless the Lord. But, but after you hear my story, you'll be like, how did you ever get anything from the governor, right? Because it's a crazy life. Next picture up here is actually Mayor Tammy, right? You can see me. I'm in the picture. So she's kind of like my sister. I was photobombing her and her dad. But um, what's been amazing with my journey of service and community service is God has like favored me. Uh, probably like he's favored not too many other people in this city. I literally, while she was the mayor, I could walk into the mayor's office and ask her for anything ridiculous. And now I'm not asking for worldly things. Pretty much everything that I ask for, it has a kingdom application to it, right? So to be able to have that type of favor with city officials that you can walk into the mayor's office and ask a question and be like... Mark, you're crazy, but yeah, let's do it. So some of you who know about our, our Easter egg hunt so that we've had, you know, up until COVID, largest Easter egg hunt in the nation, right? And we got skydiving bunnies that come into the, you know, into the park, right? Well, in order to get the skydiving bunnies approved, you have to have a letter from the FAA, or permission from the FAA to be able to fly over the park and actually land in the park. But you have to have a letter from the owners of the property allowing you to let skydivers land. Well, the park belongs to the city and the mayor ran the city. So I went and asked her, I was like, Mayor Tammy, I need you to write this letter. I need your permission to have the skydivers land. She's like, Mark, you're crazy. And then she wrote the letter. So we, 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 we've had that kind of favor um, just in doing what God has called us to do. And I think there's one more picture up here. This is me with the, with the football team. So this is what kind of started all the mess uh, a couple years ago where the people tried to stop us from being, you know, uh, praying you know, on the field and things like that. The reason why I show you that picture, so I I came to Boise State. I'll talk a little bit about it. Um, I came to Boise State in 1984 to to play football. And uh, I came from a junior college, and um, I'll go a little bit more into detail like that. But there was a season in my life where I was kind of a black eye to the program, and they would have never allowed me to impart anything to the players, right? They would have never allowed me to be a part of what was going on. I'm I'm pretty sure there was a picture on the wall. My picture was on the wall and they're like, stay away from this guy. Keep all your friends away from this guy. And now I have the coaches who invite me, hey, can you come talk to this player? Can you come talk to this person? Can you talk to these parents? And so there's a level of favor that has been uh, uh, given to me in my life, not because of who I am, but because of who God is and all that God is doing. And so if you don't hear anything else from my story today, but if he did it for me, he'll do it for you. 
hold on to it because the Bible says he's not a respecter of persons, right? And so if God will do it for Abraham, he'll do it for you, right? If he'll do it for David, he'll do it for you. If he'll do it for me, he'll do it for you. If he'll do it for Pastor Kelly last week, you heard, he'll do it for you. So hold on to the truths of God's unchanging word. So let me, uh, let me, let me pray, get to some scriptures. Father God, again, we thank you that you're an awesome God and a faithful God. And we're grateful for this Another opportunity, Heavenly Father, that you've given us to testify about your goodness, Heavenly Father, to acknowledge your presence in our lives, Heavenly Father, and tell the truth about where would we be had it not been for the Lord on our side, God. And so today, I pray that you would help me to articulate whatever it is of my story that you want these people to hear, Heavenly Father. Give them ears to hear, a mind to understand, and then a heart to receive, and a faith and a boldness to walk out, Lord, whatever you're saying to them, Heavenly Father, on their journey, Lord. And we love you, God. We bless you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so I got a couple life scriptures that I really kind of hold on to. Um, yeah, they just kind of, they motivate me. I can always go back to them. So the first one comes out of Psalm 37, uh, verses 23 and 24 is how it started. It says, if the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. And what I love about that scripture is like, God didn't say I had to be perfect, right? Because David wasn't perfect, but God said in David, I found a man after my own heart. If God, if the Lord delights in a man's ways, your pursuit of him, your affection for him, he says, you might make it to the bottom rung of the ladder, but you're not going to hit the ground. You will never hit rock bottom because it's the Lord that upholds you with his hand. Amen. And then it goes on the scripture in verse 25. It says, I've been young, but now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their descendants begging bread. This is the testimony of my life. It hasn't been because I've been so good, because I've been so perfect, but I believe it's because I've had a heart for God and I've had a heart for the kingdom even though I was a bad kid and I was a bad kid. I'll tell you about it in just a little bit, right? But there was something on my life and so God has always upheld me. And then in Galatians 2.20, this is my life, another life verse and then a ministry verse, but it says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, I have a ministry called Living for Him, and because that's the story of my life. I'm living for Him, and I don't, you know, oh, you're so spiritual. No, I just need to remind myself, what's my cause? What's my why? I'm living for Him, but I love this on the, on the, on the card that I have. I, I, I sometimes, I used to feel bad about quoting the message translation because it kind of sounded like I was being, you know, like a, a braggart, a bodacious, but this is the word of the Lord. It says, out of the message translations, it says, Christ's life showed me how. And enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It's no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I'm no longer driven to impress God because Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it's lived by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not about me. It's about the God that I serve, right? So look what the Lord has done. Man, that's a statement. That's a song that you need to sing because I'm just giving you an example or telling you what God did in my life. And I believe this. If he did it for me, he'll do it for you. Now, there was a BC mark before Christ. And then there was an AD mark. Most of you know the AD mark. You are blessed because you only know that AD 
Mark. But I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story. So I'm not going to take you all the way back to uh, the beginning and walk you through, but I will take you back to some of the things that shaped me. So I was adopted when I was five days old. And uh, I, I never had the, obviously I never knew my biological parents and I never really had a desire to, to, to know my biological parents, partly because, well, mainly because my parents did such an amazing job of loving me. I mean, because of my mom particularly, but both, both my mom and my dad, I learned the unconditional love of Christ even before I knew that's what it was, right? And so my parents, they just like beat it into me, instilled it into me. Mark, you're special. We chose you. You're, you're special. We chose you. We came and got you. I'm still thinking, I'm, I'm special. I'm the golden child. Um, that, that got me in a lot of trouble because I thought that I was special, I was, but I took it out of context, right? But to the point to where I used to tell my brothers and sisters, ah, you guys were just a product of marriage. They chose me, you know? So doesn't always go well with you when you brag like that to your brother who can beat you up. So, but, but honestly, my parents, they, 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 they instilled that into me. But again, I, I kind of took it out of context. So I got in a lot of trouble because I thought that I could do anything. And when I say that I got into a lot of trouble as a kid, it's really kind of an understatement. Um, I was a bad kid. Some of you might have called me a juvenile delinquent. I remember one year, I don't know, it's probably 10 years ago, 13 years ago, I took my kids to, <clears throat> excuse me, Portland church that I grew up for a ceremony and somebody was, now my kids don't know all my story, right? So they don't know all that stuff. So we walked in the church and some lady was like, is that Mark? Little bad Mark? And my parents and my kids are like, dad, what's she talking about? That lady's crazy. Don't pay no attention. <laughs> don't pay no attention to her. She needs Jesus, right? But that's, I'm thinking, come on, all these years have passed and that's all you remember about me is that I was bad. And she's like, yep. So, you know, take it from somebody else, right? But there, there have always really kind of been people in my life, which amazes me, and this is just the grace of God. There's always been people in my life for some reason wanted to help me, right? For some reason, there were people who stood by my side even when my actions and my attitudes didn't uh, require that, right? Didn't lend to anything like that. So um, in 1984, I came to Boise State from a junior college to play football. Now, Every athlete will tell you, oh, I was a bad man in the day. Um, but I was. I really was. I, I could play the game. I was not disciplined, but I could play the game of football, right? Because I played with a chip on my shoulder. And, and the reason why I can say that confidently is I, in junior college, before I got here, I had gotten in some trouble, right? I still ended up getting a scholarship to come and play football at Boise State, even though I had been in trouble in my junior college. They're like, oh, hopefully, you know, this will give him an opportunity, blah, blah, blah. He'll do whatever it is that he's going to do. But I got in trouble in, in, in junior college, and I come to Boise State. My second year at Boise State, I ended up getting in trouble with the law. And so I know now you guys are like, you guys, oh, we don't like the Californians coming. Yeah, this is 2022. Imagine in 1984 a black man from California who comes to do something, gets in trouble and puts a bad reputation on the program, right? So there was, when I show you the picture of me with the football people, there was a time, like I said, they're like, nope, this guy, we are no longer associated with this person, right? So out of, out of, out of my second year in, in, in college, I ended up going to prison for four months. Now, this is the amazing thing. While I was in prison, right, I had a lieutenant and a sergeant actually go to court for me when I was asking them to review my sentence. And they said, he doesn't need to be here. 
this is four months. Come on, you don't really get to know somebody in four months, but God obviously was doing something in them. And they said, yeah, he doesn't need to be here. So they let me out, right? Because I'm special. (laughs) By the time I was 30, I had probably spent close to seven or eight years either in jail, in prison, or on probation or something like that. I was a bad kid, right? So in, in 1991, 1990, 1991, I ended up uh, opening this pub, this bar, restaurant. And uh, it was right around then that all the drama started kind of happening to shape me into who I am today. Now, um, some of you, if you're involved in men's ministry or the youngsters, you hear me preaching at you. I, I get pretty adamant about, man, staying true to the, to the, to the word. And I, I try not to let you go. I'll press you to where I'm probably on your nerves because I'm sweating you so much, right? But in, in this process, I, had a, I, I was going to church. I was singing in the choir. I had a pastor who was like, you know, pulls me into his office. And he's like, so Mark, you, you own a bar. I'm like, Yeah. You know, I'm like, but I'm tithing. I'm singing in the choir. I'm still helping out with Bible studies. I was a believer, but I was not a follower by any means, right? And so he had an opportunity. See, because my parents were pastors and in ministry and, and I wanted to please them, I was very impressionable to the point that if you reminded me that I said I was a Christian, I'd have caved under that. And, and in my mind, I'm not, I'm not blaming the pastor. In my mind, he had an opportunity to explain to me the problems that would have come with this life that I had chosen or these things that I was participating in. And he, he didn't follow up. I'm like, yeah, but I'm tithing and I'm giving. And, you know, it's not like I really want to own a bar. I'm thinking it's economics. Beer pours for three cents an ounce and I can make a lot of money, right? And so he, he let it go. And that pub ended up being the beginning of my demise in, in a sense, right? So in 1992, worst year in my family's life, easily. In January, my, my oldest sister, she ended up passing away at home. She had ovarian cancer, and so she came home. So she was the first person in our immediate family to pass away. So it was a pretty, you know, pretty heavy hit to, you know, my parents and my mom in particular and to me. But I'm a period wild now doing what I'm doing, so I'm not in a place spiritually or practically other than I can donate some money to the cause. I'm of no benefit to my family in this sense. And so I go home to the funeral and I really couldn't do anything. And, you know, it, it struck me. I was grieving, but I had my own stuff that was actually going on. So, you know, we get past that. And I come back to Boise and I brought my brother with me and kind of pulled him out of, you know, drugs and alcohol and, and was doing that stuff. And then in February of 1992, I have some the, the detectives come into my, into my pub and they're like, yeah, well, we have a warrant for your arrest. I'm like, a warrant for my arrest? For, for what? Well, we don't know. We just have a warrant for your arrest. Now, I'm special. So I'm like, well, if you don't tell me what you're arresting me for, I'm not going. I'm talking to detectives with guns and badges, right, and and handcuffs. And so they oblige me. They call in. What's the warrant for? And they're like, well, it's for delivery of a controlled substance. Like delivery of a controlled substance. I'm rolling back the videotape of my life. I'm like, I have not sold drugs to anybody. I had access to a lot of money. There was no reason to do that. But, you know, the Bible says a man sins will find him out. There was a whole lot of other stuff that I probably should have went to jail for that I didn't go to jail for. So I'm dealing with this particular incident, right? And again, just the arrogance. If I could find those policemen, I would probably apologize to them because I was like, well, how much is the bail? And they're like, well, we don't know. I was like, well, if you don't tell me what the bail is, I'm not going. 
So they oblige me and they call up, it's $200,000. I'm like, $200,000? That's ridiculous, right? So I was married. I told my wife, hey, write a check for $200,000. We're going to pay the bail. I'm coming home. So I go to jail, pay the bail, $200,000, write him a cashier's check. And, and, and the bailiff at the time was like, wow, I've never seen anybody write a $200,000 check. And I'm arrogant, right? I'm like, you know what? Anything short of a million dollars, I'm not going to jail. That wasn't a good statement for me to make. But I'm special, right? So I, I, I did all of that stuff. So in 1992, January, my sister passes away. In February, I get arrested for delivery of a controlled substance. Because of my prior offenses, this crime um, was, had the potential of life in prison, 25 to life. I'm like, you guys are trying to put me in jail for the rest of my life. So now I got turmoil going on in my spirit. I'm like, I'm going to lose my family. I'm going to lose all this stuff. I mean, I had grand plans. So I'm going I'm to move to Jamaica or some non-extradition place and just kind of disappear because I had the resources to be able to do it, right? But like, we'll fight it. We'll fight it because I'm special. I'll find a way to get out of this. Now, my mom was my best friend. I mean, I'm a mama's boy. My mom loved me like this. I could be on the videotape stealing the candy bar. And she'd be like, oh, that's my baby. He wouldn't do it. I used to think that I had her fooled. I didn't have her fooled. She just loved the hell out of me. So if there was one person on the planet that I wanted to make sure I pleased, it was always my mom, right? So come Mother's Day that same year, my, my sister died. I get arrested February. Mother's Day is in May. My sister passed away at home and my parents didn't want to be at the house, right? So they all loaded up vans and they came to Boise to get out of the house, get out of Sacramento for, for Mother's Day. So everybody comes and I hosted everybody and we have a really great weekend, right? And so then on Mother's Day, on the Sunday, I was like, okay, I got to show my dad the pub and just kind of take him down before they actually get back on the road, not knowing how he was going to feel. I mean, it's, you know, place of business, but it was a bar. He was a pastor. Those two things really didn't go hand in hand. So I take him down to the pub, my brother and I, he goes to the bathroom He's in the bathroom for like 45 minutes, 50 minutes. I'm trying to figure out what in the world is he doing in the bathroom for that long? I'm thinking, you got to get on the road. It's a long drive back to Sacramento and things like that. So my dad comes out of the bathroom and my brother's there to bear witness. He's like, looks me in the eye, says, son, I'm proud of you. That, that statement messed me up because I couldn't understand why he said it. I'm like, okay, you're not proud because I'm selling beer to people. Um, you're not proud because I own a bar, right? Because my life is totally, I go to church, but my life is not, it has no kingdom uh, resemblance at all, right? And, and so I'm like, well, maybe he's just proud of me because I'm sending money home or something like that. So I just let that statement go. Later on in life, after a transformation took, in, took, took place in my life, I realized, well, I believe that God showed my dad what I was going to be stepping into. And my dad pronounced a blessing on me before I deserved it. I, I didn't understand, right? And so my dad, uh, my dad has the we have the funeral for my dad and I'm getting ready to go home and I'm telling my attorneys like, hey, my dad passed away and blah, blah, blah. Well, remember that statement that I told you I made to the bailiff, anything short of a million dollars and I'm not going to jail? Well, well, it comes back to bite me in this particular instance because I was in a court proceeding. They had control over my life. And so they're like, he's like, hey, Mark, they said you can't leave the state without your, their permission. 
and they're not going to give you permission to go to the funeral, thinking, yeah, whatever, I'm going to the funeral, right? So I end up going down to the funeral still. I got turmoil going on inside of me, but then my dad, right? And I'm more concerned about my mom because she's lost her oldest daughter, lost her life partner, right? And then I got this stuff that's going on, but I can't say anything, right? I just got to kind of suffer all by myself. And so my sisters pulled me into a room because they could tell like there was something going on. And they're like, Mark, what's wrong? I'm thinking, what do you mean what's wrong? Our dad just died and da 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 our mom's going through it. They're like, no, Mark, there's something else. So I had to fess up. Well, this is what happened. I got arrested for delivery of a controlled substance. I think they would have put me in jail for the rest of my life. And there's, I don't know that there's any way out of it. I can't buy my way out of it. I can't, you know, I don't know what I can do. And this is what my sisters told me. Mark, it's spiritual warfare. God has a plan for your life. And the enemy's trying to thwart that plan. You need to surrender to Christ and let God do what he wants to do. Now, I'm not really trying to hear that in the moment, and I don't really understand what spiritual warfare is about, but in hindsight, I can see how God was moving, right? So we have the funeral, and, you know, we're, we're grieving. My mom still doesn't know, so I'm just there trying to love on her and be of some type of, of use. And I get a call from one of my employees. He's like, Mark, they found out you left town, and they're going to arrest you when you get to the airport. I'm thinking, come on, my dad just passed away. You guys are trying to arrest me. It's not like I was off committing other crimes or nothing. I went to a funeral. So I flew to Salt Lake and we bought a van and we drove into Boise. (laughs) Three o'clock in the morning, right? Stayed in my house for a minute, but then I knew they knew where I lived and they were probably casing that the house when I didn't show up on the plane. So we bought a house in the North End and moved over the weekend. God is my witness, right? Like, I'm not going to jail. So we, we, so we did that. And then finally, you know, you had to kind of pay the piper. So I ended up going to court, right? And I'm, I'm in court and they're just, and now they knew I did not sell the drugs. Okay, there was a confidential informant. I'm I'm not downplaying that, but they knew this was God was working something out, right? Because he had a plan for me. And had I not gone through that, I wouldn't be who I am today. Wouldn't be where I am today. So though I'm ashamed of some of the things that I did and the people that I hurt, I'm not ashamed of what I went through, right? Because if it hadn't been for that, then there's no this, right? I believe it. That's just the way it had to work out for me. That might not be everybody's testimony, but that's what was going on. So anyway, I end up going to court, right? And I'm having to deal with the people. I had to turn myself in. And while I'm in court, this, the judge is just like, and you, da-da-da-da-da, and you, da-da-da-da-da. And he's just like, you know, reading me the riot act. And I'm thinking, man, what am I going to do? And I'm just, I said this, I said, Jesus. And immediately, I kid you not, immediately the judge said, but. I'm telling you, there is power in the name of Jesus. You may not know how to wield the weapon, but there's power still the same. Because that's all I said was Jesus. And the judge says, but. This is what I'm going to do. I I think he thought he was doing me a favor. He's like, I'm going to give you a 10-year sentence, 10 years indeterminate, and three years fixed. I'm thinking, this is not a blessing. I'm going to lose my family. I'm going to lose all of this stuff, right? I'm thinking, man, I'm I'm going to jail. There's no way out of it at this point, right? So I'm in jail. Then I have to go out to the prison. I'm getting processed, and I'm sitting in RDU, where they put you in and get ready to process you in senior prison. I'm thinking... I got to tell my mom. I'm like, I can't hide it no more. 
Now, by this time, everybody's gone, right? All the people who wanted to be my friends because I owned the pub, they're gone. All the people who wanted to be my friends because I had money, they're gone, right? Now, I got to tell my mom, the one person that I'm most concerned about in this particular space, this is two months after she buried my dad. And so I make a collect phone call from, from, from prison. I'm like, mom, this is where I'm at. This is what's going on. I could be in prison for 10 years. And this is what my mom said to me, son, I've got to wash my hands of you. Devastating to me. I I wasn't mad. I understood exactly what she was talking about, right? My sister died. We couldn't control that. My dad passed away. We couldn't control that. The grief and the pain that's caused from those two things, but me getting in trouble, I could have controlled that. And she said, I've got to wash my hands of you. So now I'm sitting in a prison cell. Everybody's gone. And the one person I thought would never leave my side there was too much stress. It was too much pain. And, and I remembered, I grew up in church, right? So I, I know some scriptures, quote some of them incorrectly, but I know some scriptures. But I remember that Bible said, or I heard, God will never leave you nor forsake you. That's what I heard. And so I'm like, okay, Lord, you said you'd never leave me nor forsake me. So I'm all yours. And from that moment on, I begin to experience a level of favor in prison, like Joseph in the Bible was experiencing in Potiphar's house. I mean, it, it's no exaggeration. I, I wear a size 15 shoe, right? And back then, they didn't have no 15s, right? It topped out at 14. Bless the Lord, we got big kids now, right? But they didn't have shoes, and they're like, we don't got no shoes to fit you. So I was like, I told my lawyer, because they wanted me to wear something else. I told my lawyer, my lawyer got me. So now I'm walking in prison with three pairs of my own shoes. Okay, this is like, this is not something that actually goes on, right? So I go through the process of this whole prison thing in my life it like honestly, legitimately begin to transform because I had surrendered to God. Now I'm, I'm all in. I got a personality. My coworkers will tell you, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it well. I, I heard uh, one, one of our friends who just passed away probably said it best and I've adopted that. He says, if anything's worth doing, it's worth doing with excess, are worth doing in excess. That's really kind of how I live my life, right? If you're going to serve him, serve him well. Because when he blesses you, he blesses you well, right? God just don't pour out on you a little tiny itty bitty blessing. He blesses you real good, right? And so that's really kind of how I live my life. So I make this transformation. I'm living for the Lord. And I start walking through prison. Again, favor, doors were opening, things were happening, right? That, that weren't happening for other people. And so I end up getting transferred to the minimum security facility, right? At the minimum security facility, they have a chapel service, right? In a, in a trailer, right? And so I'm out there in the chapel and I'm like, I'm ready to go. So now I kind of become the defunct chaplain in prison, right? And so I'm doing all this stuff. And in prison, uh, when you're minimum security, we used to be able to have barbecues and, you know, things like that and all this different stuff, right? And so two things amazing happened to me while I was in that minimum security uh, prison. 1995, I'm kind of finishing my, my, my sentence, supposed to be that time. There's a Promise Keepers event down at the pavilion, I wanted to go. My life had been changed in the context of accountability groups, one-on-one, you know, three, three, three guys together. So I learned scriptures. I learned how to read the word of God and apply it. I did all that stuff. So I'm thinking, we need to go to Promise Keepers. So I submit to the warden going to Promise Keepers. And the warden was like, you know, da-da-da-da-da, you're in prison, whatever. But we end up going to Promise Keepers, right? I'm in 
my prison uniform at Promise Keepers with 13,000 other men. One of the pastors that, he was a new pastor of this church that I was at, right? I'd never met him, but I wrote letters. So I went up and introduced myself to him, right? And so there's a pastor called Wellington Boone, Bishop Wellington Boone, Atlanta guy, great man of God, but he's there. So he introduces me to Bishop Wellington Boone. He's like, Bishop, this is Mark Thornton. He's in prison. And Wellington Moon was like, oh, that's great. I'm glad you got it. He's like, no, no, he's still in prison right now. I'm thinking, why you got to tell all my business? The dude just came to, he just came to tell the priest, you telling him all my story. But it was a remarkable story that from prison, I'm in a group of men fellowshipping, right? So I go back, God's still getting a hold of me and still doing things in my life. So, but we used to have chapel services where guests, your visitors could come in on a Monday night. So Susan comes in to visit me uh, one, one night and we, I don't know if we were dating, right? I was married. My wife had left me and took the kids and I didn't know where she was at. But Susan came in. I'd known Susan since I came to college, right? It's a whole nother story. But she was Catholic. I wasn't Catholic. I never questioned her about her faith. I never asked her questions. But God had gotten a hold of me in such a great way, right? I just had to ask her. I was like, why do you pray to a priest when you can go to Jesus? She's like, I don't know. I never thought about it. So anyway, we go through the process. Long story short, Susan gave her life to the Lord in a prison compound visiting me. For those of you who don't know, Susan's my wife, right? And so, so I'm going through this process, right? And so it, it's coming up. It's coming up to be time for my parole hearing. And so, again, I had honestly changed. This was not, I'm just telling you I changed because I got out. I was really kind of content because I learned this. If you can serve the Lord in prison, the world is nothing, right? Because everybody's waiting for you to mess up. And I'm thinking, not on my watch. I'm not going to be the weak link. I'm not going to be the one that gives God a bad name or bad reputation. So I was just living for the Lord. And the fruit of it was evident in people's lives there. I had this, uh, just real quick, I had this this. this he wasn't a sergeant. He was just an officer who used to, because he knew I was living for the Lord. I ordered my life and he used to like antagonize me. He called me to his office. I'm like, yeah, what can I do? He's like, uh, you, you know, you're a convict, right? I'm like, no, I'm a child of God. He's like, but you're a convict. I'm like, I'm a child of God. And we would argue for 15 minutes. I'm like, you don't have a job to do, right? And so, but I couldn't not go. He's the guard. And he called me in. He's like, well, you've been convicted of a crime, right? I'm like, yeah, then you're a convict. I'm like, yeah, but the Bible says if any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I'm a child of God, right? So you're trying to put something on me. I'm putting on me what God has said about me. But he would do this like, probably once a week, man. I'm just like, you know, come on. And so I just stood my ground, right? So it's about time for me to go to my parole hearing. And I'm thinking, man, they're not going to let me out because the way things have been going. But I'm like, Lord, whatever it is that you have for me. So as I get ready to go to my parole hearing, uh, my, my mom came up. My brother was here. He came and Susan came to the parole hearing, right? Susan didn't want to say anything. My brother didn't want to say anything. So my mom said something on my behalf. It wasn't anything, you know, eloquent, just, you know, that she loved me and so forth and so on. And so one of the parole guys, he's like, so you play football, Boise State, huh? I'm like, yeah, oh, that's all I have. And nobody else wanted to ask me any questions. Now, I had prepared this speech right? That I was going to show you. If you looked in the dictionary under change, my picture was right there because there had been an honest to God transformation in my life, right? So I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm going to share this thing. And so when the, the, the parole board lady's like, okay, Mark, so if you go into the room, we're going to make our decision. I'm like, wait, wait, no, I got something to say. And she was like, oh, we don't need to hear from you. I was like, oh, 
they're going to keep me in jail, right? So I went into the other room and I waited. Then they called me back in. This was June of, of 1995. And uh, the, the, the parole lady's like, okay, we're going to give you a date for October. I'm like, I was mad. I had the audacity to be mad. Because I'm thinking, I came in in June three years ago. You're supposed to let me out in June, three, you know, three years later. Now I got no place to live. I got no job. I have nothing, right? You know, so it would have been a bad thing to put me out on the streets in that particular instance. And so I, I had to apologize to God because when I was like, I can't believe you. And the Holy Spirit was just like, how ungrateful can you be? So I repented, went through the process. It was great. I ended up going to a work release center, right? Where I got a job. Okay, watch this. I don't know anything about building nothing but a song and a sandwich. Okay. <laughs> I get a job working for a steel construction place and all of the jobs that they put me on were federal jobs so I'm making what they call Davis Bacon wages 27 bucks an hour 29 bucks an hour with 5 hour an hour benefits these guys that I'm working with they got like $3,000, $4,000 worth of tools I had a Leatherman they had the nerve to show up with a Leatherman right? like that's all I got, right? They soon moved me from that job to, to something else. But I was worried about the guy because he knew I was in prison. I was at the work release and I was like, sir, I'll work hard for you. You just got to take a chance on my character. He's like, Mark, I got no problems with your character, right? So I get out of jail. Uh, I'm in the process of getting out of jail, finishing up this work release thing. And then it was like, well, where are you going to live? I'm like, oh, I got no place to live. By this time, I guess you could say Susan and I are dating, but I'm loving the Lord. I'm like, I'm not going to go live with you. Well, while I was in prison, I befriended a guy who was at the chapel right when we were in minimum security. And his mom used to come out to the prison and hang out, you know, when we have visiting times. And so she found out that I needed a place to live. She's like, Mark, you can come live with us. She's known me for like three months, four months. She met me in prison. I don't know about you. I'm pretty trustworthy, but I probably wouldn't have made that call. And she's like, my husband drives trucks, so he's always gone. And she's like, I work dispatch, so I'm always in Weezer, so you can just have the house. Don't pay no rent, don't buy no food. It was just crazy, the stuff that was actually going on, right? So she made it easy for me to transition out of jail. I'm thinking, you know, what's going on? So I get a parole officer, and the guy's a nice guy, but I wanted to prove, right? I proved that I was an idiot sometimes. I wanted to prove that I was really on God's team. And I'm, come on into the house, see everything, check it out. He's like, no, I don't need to come in. I don't need to see anything. I'm thinking, come on. On. I'm trying to show you I changed. Nobody's having it, right? So in this process, while I'm still living with this lady and transitioning, I get a call from the director of the parole board. And I'm thinking, hey, okay, what did I do? I didn't do nothing wrong. She's like, well, Mark, we, we want to ask you a question. I'm like, yeah, okay. She's like, well, you know, we, we've got a guy that we're thinking about giving parole to, but we want to know what you think. Like, I'm on parole. How are you going to ask me whether you should let this guy out on parole? Real, real talk, right? And she's like, well, if you say we should give him a parole date, we're going to give him a parole date. I was like, wow, the weight that I had on me. But how would you trust me? That happened three different times. 
while I'm still on parole, but ordering my life so that God's glorified, right? God made these ways. And so now I'm thinking, so then, so then I got to tell you this, I started working for uh, Promise Keepers part-time. We had a state local office, right? So I started working for this guy. His name is Dick Frosch. I said, never forget Dick. He was a, uh, uh, um, he was a, uh, a sheriff at Ada County. He was in the jail. There was one time when I'm in my special mode, right? That I, I wanted to go to, I was supposed to go to court and I'm thinking, I'm not going to court because it was all a game at that point. I'm thinking, you're going to do what you're going to do. Ain't no use in me being there. Just let me know what you're doing and then tell me later, right? So he's like, it's time for court. I'm like, I'm not going to court. He's like, you are going to court. So anyway, we got in an argument. He's a big guy, face-to-face argument. And he's like, you need to learn some respect. I was like, you need to learn some respect. And it's like, I'm just stupid, right? Arguing with people in jail. So anyway, I ended up going to court, but I was arguing with that guy. He ended up being the state director at Promise Keepers, right? So I ended up working for him. So anyway, my buddy that I live with the lady, I live with, with the lady, her son was getting out of prison. We couldn't both live there at the same time. So Dick was like, oh, you can, you can come and live with us. I was like, Dick, you don't remember this confrontation that we had back in the day, do you? No. And I was trying to tell him, he's like, I don't remember. I asked my wife, she said it's good. So I ended up moving in with Dick. He wouldn't let me pay rent, wouldn't let me buy groceries. I mean, God was just doing all of these particular things, right? So anyway, I'm in ministry. I'm doing all this stuff. So fast forward to 25 years ago, January, I walk in the door at Capitol Church, Capitol Christian Center for a sacred assembly. I'm in the back worshiping, and you guys know how I worship, right? I really don't want to be bothered in worship with y'all. Don't come touch me. Don't talk to me. You know, none of that stuff. Just let me, you know, get my praise on. And Tony Cerna, your dad, comes up and grabs my arm in the middle of worship. I'm like, you know? He's like, uh, are you Mark Thornton? I'm like, yeah. He's like, Pastor Ken wants you. I'm thinking, Pastor Ken doesn't even know me, right? So... Anyway, I walk up and we were singing the chorus of a song called Your Grace and Mercy. Your grace and mercy brought me through. I'm living this moment because of you. I want to praise you and thank you too. Your grace and mercy brought me through. And then there, there's a verse, right, that nobody was, was ever singing, right? And Pastor Ken was like, do you know the verse to this song? I'm like, Pastor Ken, I am the verse to this song. And the verse says, justice demanded that I should die. But grace and mercy said, oh no, we've already paid the price. There were times when I didn't do right, but you watched over me both day and night. So I sang that song. That was my introduction to Capital Christian Center, right? And so now six months later after that, no, actually probably four months later after that, Pastor Ken calls me into his office. He's like, you know, God told me you're going to be one of my worship leaders. And I was like, you don't know God. (laughs) That's what, I, that's what I thought. I was like, you don't know me. I'm like, I'm a liability to your ministry. If people see that you hired me after all I've been through. Now, mind you, this was 1997. I went to prison in 1992. So this is just five years removed from stuff. But most people hadn't seen me. I was thinking, yeah, you don't want none of that smoke. He's like, God told me. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. And we've been on this fabulous journey ever since. Now, I told you before, if there's any good in me that you get, um, it's because of the Godhead and because of my parents. But there's, if there's any God in me that you get, it's because of the Godhead, my parents, and Pastor Ken, 
and Pastor Connie. And the rest is really kind of history because I've just been going and going and going and going. And they're like, Mark, you need to slow down. Mark, you need to do this. You need to take a break. You need to, why are you working so hard? Why are you so the worship people? They probably get tired of me because I'm like, no, I need your best. You got to be excellent for the Lord. I, I do that because I lived a thousand miles an hour for the world. How can I not live a thousand and one miles an hour for the kingdom? If I'm truly going to validate, Lord, I love you with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my strength. We don't get saved by works, right? But the Bible says your works will determine or show how faithful you are, right? And so I'm holding on to the promise of God. And, and, and the biggest thing that I want to share with you guys through all of this, I mean, this is my story. There's so much of it. But the biggest thing is if God did it for me, God will do it for you. Bible says God's no respecter of persons. If God did it for my parents, responded to the effectual fervent prayers of a man and a woman who were praying for their son who was a knucklehead. Come on, if you got children or grandchildren who are going through and you just don't think that God is going to be able to do anything, come on, let my life be a living testimony that God will fix it. Come on, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but... God is faithful, right? So if you're going through something, you're thinking, I don't know if God can ever bring me back from this. Absolutely, positively, he can. God, God can do it. God is waiting to show you just how amazing he is. I love this. The Bible says he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west, right? And he remembers them no more. I don't care who you are or how fast you spin. If you go due east and... and He's removed our sins. So how can I not live a life worthy of the calling that I've received? Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.